0: i so offer up you our praise this morning because we're going to be considering in the passage of Scripture in Luke the hostilities that you endured, the suffering, the unjust suffering that you endured, the shame that you endured, all of these things, the cross ultimately for our sin. And we're reminded of so many prophecies, but one from the prophet Isaiah, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. And Lord Jesus, we are going to see exactly this in the scriptures this morning. We're going to begin to see you fulfill all the prophecies that speak of our redemption, and we need to know this morning that You did it for us, that You did it in our place for our sin on that cross, that You also did it for Your own glory as the Son of God, as the one who would be eternally praised and worshipped as the Redeemer. We know that You did it all in full strength, in resolve, with dignity in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we offer you our praise this morning. We also know that as this prophecy speaks of your suffering and the cruelty and the reality of all that, it speaks just as boldly of your vindication. For as it says, you will not be put to shame, and you knew it. That he would vindicate, and that his vindication, as the text says, is near. And so we adore you and we worship you, Lord Jesus, this morning as our Savior, for we know the full story from the Scriptures, and we pray this morning that you would bless your word to us, to our minds, to our souls, that we would become even better worshipers as we see you this morning, Lord Jesus, and it's for your sake and your glory that we pray, amen. Well, we're returning to the Gospel of Luke this morning and studying the famous passage of the three denials by Peter. Three denials of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we think about that and it's like, what a great tragedy. I mean, one of the greatest faith tragedies recorded in Scripture. And it's a tragedy any time that a follower of Jesus would deny Jesus, but precisely this one, why it's so important is because he was an apostle. One of the leaders. And so why is his failure recorded for us? It's so that we can learn a lot. It's so that we can reflect in humility on what we read in the scriptures and we can find the grace and the mercy and the new strength that we need to follow him. You know, if you think about all that's in scripture, there was a passage earlier in Luke 22:31 that. Perhaps this is one more way that passage was actually fulfilled, was in the writing of the Scripture where it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. Do you see that the Gospel of Luke, the Bible that you hold in your hands, this is part of the answer to that. This is the strength that we receive. It's in this passage of Scripture this morning. It's always tragic when we read about and hear about denials of Jesus. It's tragic for many reasons. One, of course, is when you think about the greatness of who Jesus Christ is, the eternal Son of God who came from glory to live among us and to offer Himself up in our place. And the whole story that goes along with that is just like, how could anyone deny it? It's such a tragedy. It's also a tragedy because we know, even in the midst of the times we've failed, it's not necessary. It's like it's something that didn't have to happen. You know, if we had prayed more, like the story we just read before this in the Mount of Olives, when Jesus went out with his disciples to pray and he told them not to fall into temptation, and that's why you should pray, but yet they decided to sleep away their sorrows. It didn't have to happen. It's also a tragedy because if we were to rely upon the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't fall. And if we would resist the devil, if we would deny ourselves and and look to the opportunity of suffering as an opportunity to have fellowship with Jesus, it changes things. But it's a heartbreaking pinnacle in the story that we get to here that this tragedy, but Jesus predicted this. Predicted this from Peter, he predicts it of all of us as well, elsewhere in the Gospels, that we're going to suffer. I mean, when we're going to fail personally. And the meditation might go on and on on why it's a tragedy when this happens. But it's amazing that the Apostle Peter would fall into this. And we have to remember that story that was just told, the episode that really just took place hours earlier in the storyline, and that is where Jesus, we find him agonizing in prayer with his father, but we find Peter and the rest of them sleeping away their sorrows. They rise to go when the betrayer appears, as we studied last week, but they're not ready because they acted in the flesh as we studied. Let me read our passage for us this morning. It's printed for you in our bulletin. Luke 22, verse 54 And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, he will deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept saying, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. How right Jesus was to say that we need to pray in order to stand up to temptation and opposition. And in our passage today, we see Jesus doing exactly that and enduring great shame and suffering. So our passage this morning teaches us that prayerfulness is going to lead to successful, faithful, consistent proclamation and profession of faith in Christ. But prayerlessness is going to lead us into failure, denial, and remorse. So there's this great contrast that takes place again in our passage this morning. At the same residence, in the same courtyard of the same house, we see two different stories unfolding. We see at first in verses 54 to 62, Peter cowering in denial so that he can preserve his own life. But then we see in verses 63 to 65 that Jesus is enduring patiently as a martyr for others. Oh, much more than a martyr, we know. But that's a good word. Remember Luke, how he opened the passion narrative? This is a great cosmic battle that's taking place, and he focuses our attention on the betrayer, Judas, his role, the role of Satan. Satan all moving together with the religious leaders for the downfall of Jesus. And it would be a great cosmic battle that would play out. Even the disciples were led into the fray, and Judas would betray Jesus in the garden, and the disciples would all run away, and Jesus would be left alone and taken into custody. I've mentioned before that when we study the gospel accounts, it's really important to take into consideration the emphasis of each writer to understand exactly what they're trying to tell us. And Luke, as we read Luke's account, he clusters all the denials of Peter together rather than interspersing them with what's going on in storyline two as Jesus is being interrogated in their false trial. midnight inquiries and interrogation of Jesus. Luke is just simply recording Jesus' abuse, and then he's going to give us a very quick uh, understanding of the so-called Jewish trial. And we'll cover the story as Luke wants to cover it with his literary preferences, but I will also try to integrate for us all some of the parallel accounts so you can get an understanding of what's really going on at the same time. But next week, Luke presents then together all the three trials of Jesus in one shot. We see the Council of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish trial. Then we'll see the trial before the governor Pilate. And then we'll see the trial before King Herod. And of course then, the next thing is his crucifixion. Well, first this morning we see Peter cowering for denial, in denial for self-preservation in verses 54 to 62. Now, to see where we are in the storyline, you should probably open your Bibles or the pew Bible in front of you, but if you look back to verse 52, just before our story, it's the hour of the power of darkness. Remember how that ended in the garden? Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who'd come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me but this is your hour power of darkness and we're also at that point where the jesus words are going to be fulfilled so if you look a little bit further back in verse 31 jesus says simon simon behold satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. So while Jesus is standing strong against his opponents, Peter is shrinking in the face of just simple accusations of association with Jesus. And so, the first and the second denials happen really quickly in verses 54 to 58. We see there, it's Thursday evening. So, to remind you of where we are in the storyline, because there's so much scripture around this, because this is the centerpiece of our faith, the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Thursday night, he's arrested in the garden. Well, still in the middle of the night. And then Friday morning, you know, it's all going to start unfolding and he'll be crucified. And of course, Sunday he'll be raised from the dead. But that's a little ways off in our story. But Jesus is first taken to Annas, the high priest emeritus. He had finished his term. And then to Caiaphas for interrogation before the Sanhedrin, the council of the religious leaders. The supposedly really spiritual people who have rejected the Messiah. So it's a very brief inquiry in front of Annas the father in law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas has been a high priest for a while now. He was high priest from eighteen AD to thirty-six AD. It's a prolonged interrogation by that reigning high priest. It takes all night. And it wouldn't be until morning that they come up with the formal paperwork, if you will, and decision that Jesus is condemned, and he's worthy of death and they would send him off to Pilate to get their dirty deeds done. Well, Jesus' disciples, they're all gone. They've all fled. Except that we find out now that Peter and John have more courage than the rest of them. They follow at a distance, and Peter gets into the courtyard because John has connections. And so, for example, in John, John the, the Gospel account of John eighteen fifteen, we read, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And this is a way of referring to himself. Okay? Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Well, that's how he got in there. And notice that John's in there, too. Often we forget that. So why do they follow? Well, We hope that it's because, and we know they really love Jesus and just want to see what's going to happen, but it's also because they have more nerve and more faith than the other disciples, and we really shouldn't miss this opportunity in the story to applaud Peter because it all goes downhill from here, but at least he had enough courage to show up in the courtyard. Well, then comes the first denial, starting in verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. So, you know, the story's pretty simple. The soldiers, the servants are in this courtyard of the high priest where the residence is, and there's a fire. And as the servant girl stares at Peter in the light for a while and starts to recognize and wonder about him. Matthew also refers to the servant girl. So does Mark as the servant girl who's also a servant of the high priest. And John tells us that she was the doorkeeper. So we know a lot about this person, actually. But she makes this, notice this. She makes a harmless accusation, really, At first, before this crowd, this man was with him, meaning Jesus, also meaning like John was. Notice that while she is just harmlessly making this wondering accusation against who Peter is and who he associates with, Jesus is not so harmlessly being interrogated and abused by the council, by Annas, by Caiaphas and others. So, Peter retorts in front of them all, and notice the word is used here for us. He denied it, his denials. He denied it. He says, Woman, I do not know him, meaning Jesus. I don't know Jesus. And Mark records a first crowing of a rooster, a foreboding sign. And you wonder did Peter even hear it? Look at verse 33. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. The second denial is in verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. So Peter moves away from the fire, of course, going to get out of that problem. Most likely goes over to the entryway near the gate to hide. It's a little darker. But this time, a number of people start wondering who he is, recognizing him, questioning him, accusing him. You know, Matthew tells us another servant girl's involved, and Mark talks about a girl as well. John talks about a group of people. But Luke selects out a particular man who says to Peter, you also, like John, are one of them. In other words, you also are a disciple. You also are a follower of Jesus. Peter makes his second denial and he says, Man, I am not. I'm not a follower. I'm not a disciple. I'm not one of them. Later on, it takes a while There's a third denial, and then we see the real outcome in verses 59 to 62. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Well, this hour takes place, goes past, and someone else insistently accuses him. Certainly, you also, as John, and was with him, I mean, you're a Galilean. Now, we suppose that he could figure that out because of his accent and probably the clothes he wear. And you have to remember, you know, Jesus was from Galilee, and he ministered a lot in Galilee. Matthew and Mark talk about all the bystanders. John talks about specifically another one who was a servant of, remember Malchus, the high priest? He was a relative of this guy that Peter cut off his ear, you know, not too long ago that night. Stories get around. So there are many suspicions at this point, but Peter's denial here is the most serious of the three. He actually even curses, as Mark records in verse 14, in chapter 14, but he began to invoke a curse on himself. So this denial involved a lot, not just these few words that you see here initially, you know, like recorded for us by Luke. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. So he claims like he doesn't even understand what you're talking about. Well, Jesus warned back in verse 40. You glance back there in the garden. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then comes the look in verse 60 and following. So soon as Peter says that, and immediately while he was still speaking, he gets interrupted by the rooster The rooster crowed, and the Lord, Jesus Christ, turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him earlier, not too long ago, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. So Peter's finishing up this oath that he's basically taking, his oath of denial that he even knows Jesus at all, and what this guy's talking about. The rooster crows and Jesus looks at Peter. It's a look of, I told you so. In one sense, you should have prayed. You know, I told you so. The prediction, the warning of temptation, but also a look of great authority and omniscience. He's in charge of what's really going on here. We don't know, maybe Jesus was in the courtyard at the time. Maybe he was visible from a window. Maybe he was in transit being transit, being dragged to the next place of abuse and interrogation. And he looks at Peter. Peter remembers verse 34. In fact, it gets requoted here. We, can, we should feel the impact in the moment. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny that you know me three times. Peter remembered that. It says. So he leaves the courtyard, weeping terribly, bitterly in remorse of his soul. He had been cowering in denial because he's trying to preserve his life. He's not acting in faith and he's not acting in the best interests of Jesus Christ. Even though he said he'd go to prison for Jesus. So all in about a space of an hour, think about that, just in an hour between these two rooster crowings, Peter denies that he knows Jesus, like he never met the guy. He denies that he's a follower of Jesus, that he's a disciple. But think about so much he's been through these last two and a half years walking on the earth with Jesus. And he denies that he even knows about such things in general. And all the disciples failed, you remember, but all that failure gets pictured for us in Peter. And we can see ourselves in Peter and recount the times that we've done likewise where we've denied being a follower of Jesus, maybe. Maybe. Maybe we've, we've denied some of Jesus' teachings because they're not acceptable to certain people. Maybe it's been just, you know, certainly wouldn't be as dramatic as Peter's case, most likely, maybe they were in small ways we've done it or in quick moments, or maybe it's a lifestyle decision that we made. And certainly many of us can remember If we became, when we became a new Christian and that first loss in the battle against sin and how much that devastated us in our soul, can you remember that? That was awful. And perhaps we can remember some other times or some recent times. We know what Peter's feeling. But after we realize what's going on in this story, we start to realize the lesson that we're supposed to know, and that is that prayerfulness is going to give us success, faithfulness, and consistent profession. But prayerlessness in our life is going to lead us into these failures, denials, and remorse. And so we look at Peter, but now we need to sort of set Peter aside for a moment. We're done looking at him. Now it's time to look at Jesus, because this story is also unfolding at the same time. He's enduring patiently this abuse. Well, Peter can't handle a simple accusation in front of a fire. And so here's the Jewish trial of our Lord Jesus. So I put down in your notes for you, you can look it up more on your own, but from John 18 and Mark 14, those are the most robust explanations, if you will. But if you want to, you can turn over to John 18, 12 for a moment, but I'm going to read this part. So there are two parts to the Jewish trial of Jesus. There's the part that's very brief where he appears before Annas, the former high priest, the one who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And then Annas has enough with him and sends him off to Caiaphas. And, of course, Caiaphas conducts the real trial as the reigning high priest and is the one who's really guilty for condemning him to death and convincing the Sanhedrin that this is the right thing to be doing. So in John 18, starting in verse 12, so let me put in our minds this trial because then that helps us understand when we get to verse 63 in this brief little paragraph. So in John 18, 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Skip down to verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus and his disciples about his teaching. Interesting. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if I said it is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So then we go to the interrogation in front of Caiaphas and that's pretty much all we know about the interrogation before Annas, Mark 14, starting in verse 53, if you want to turn there. So this is where it gets really serious. It takes a long time. Because, you know, they've already determined the verdict. So that's why it's not really a trial. I mean, we call it a trial. But when you already know that you've determined in your mind that somebody's guilty of something, well, it doesn't really matter because then you just make all the evidence line up. And so, that's what Caiaphas does, and they lead Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes come together, all of them. Peter followed at a distance, so here we see this being integrated in the storyline of Mark, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself to the fire. Now we jump back to the story. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony didn't agree. Because people had different motives, what they were after. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony didn't agree, because they don't even know what he's talking about. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you any answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And so we arrive at the abuse in verse 63. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Now Caiaphas and the other leaders, they'd had enough of this messianic pretender in their minds. He's the blasphemer, but isn't it interesting who they're really blaspheming the Son of God. They perceived that's who he was, and so they descend upon him themselves violently, Matthew tells us. They did it themselves too, these respectable religious men. And their servants do as well, as Luke mentions for us. Some of both. They abuse him. They spit on him. They punch him. They blindfold him and make him prophesy. They deride all his false pretensions, it seems. But likely, the members themselves are involved in the Sanhedrin because it's part of the culture of the ancient Near East and shaming the one being persecuted. But then the prophecy is fulfilled that we looked at earlier in Isaiah 50. One of the servant songs of Isaiah speaks directly of Jesus. These are, in a sense, the words, very words put into his mouth. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be put to shame. And then look at verse 65. And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. They're full of blasphemies, these people, because he's really, who? The eternal son of God. So while, let's put the two stories together. So while Peter's trying to save himself in the courtyard, Jesus is enduring patiently as a martyr for other people. Oh, much more than that, right? He would offer himself, he would die on the cross for other people's sins because he was the sinless one to save those who would believe in him. So Jesus' predictions were all true. He predicted Judas' betrayal. He predicted that everybody, all his disciples would leave him. He predicted Peter would deny him three times, and he even predicted his own abuse. Back in Luke chapter 18, verse 32, Jesus said, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. You see, the tragedy of Peter's denial is furthered when we observe who he's really denying, and when he's doing it. I mean, he's doing it right at the exact same time that Jesus needed support. Eventually, it would be Peter, though, who would strengthen us. So now we jump way ahead, way past the cross, past the resurrection, past the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, into the mission of the church and the apostles and Peter and all his work. And then he writes scripture for us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. You can turn there. You should see this for yourself. So turn to 1 Peter 2, 19. Peter would then strengthen the whole church, including us today, by the way, with these very words of God that he wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You see, I hope you can see, as I read this paragraph to you, that as he wrote that, he was remembering that very night. His denials. The look that Jesus gave him. And what he came to understand Jesus did and what he underwent that night. First Peter 2.19 For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Wow, where did you get that from? For what credit is it, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps." He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer, Of your souls. What an amazing passage. And to read that, and I just encourage you to read the whole book of 1 Peter because it's all around the same theme. That he's remembering all of those experiences as he writes this to encourage the church. You know, we believe that Jesus is our strong Savior, and we love to hear about his victory over suffering for us because after the suffering came the glory. And he proved. Exactly what he lived that very night. And that is that if we're prayerful as his disciples, we're going to make it through the suffering that we've been appointed to. That's what it means to follow in his steps. He's talking about suffering. It's pretty obvious, right? Prayerfulness is going to lead to success and faithfulness and consistent profession of faith in Jesus. But prayerlessness over time, right? It's not like a quick prayer is going to make you faithful. Or a quick, forgetting to pray is going to make you unfaithful. It might, but he's talking about a manner, we're talking about a manner of life. Prayerlessness is going to lead into failure, denial, and eventually remorse. You know, I entitled this passage or, that we're looking at this morning as the tragedy of denial. But this tragedy would eventually turn. It would turn for Jesus, and it would turn for Peter. We're well aware of, and we'll be tracing out in the coming weeks, that Jesus would be crucified for the sins of the world, but then he would be raised from the dead to glory. Be like you forget about all the pain almost. But Peter, too, the tragedy would turn. He'd be loved again, be strengthened, and lead the church forward. Remember, also back in verse 32 in our current chapter, Jesus said to Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. That would come true too. And later on in the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, sometime after the resurrection, this whole interchange is recorded regarding Peter and Jesus. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him the third time. Because you know what this is paralleling, don't you? The Three denials. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So I hope we realize that when we look at this story in the Gospel of Luke, the story of the denials, another thing to consider is, you know, the story is going around at the time when Peter is the leader of the church and has sort of gotten beyond all this, right, in his life, in the power of the Spirit. In fact, and then Luke records it. Why? So that everybody who professes the name of Jesus would fear and not presume in their own strength. That ever happened to you? You presume in your own strength, but then somehow you fall. And yet, the story's also told because we know that wasn't the end of the story, that there's hope after failure. So I hope you're not stuck in the remorse of some failure many years ago in your life. Or maybe even something that just happened a few days ago. We can learn a lot from this story as we reflect in humility. We can learn how to recover from denials. We don't have to live in depression and shame. Confess your sins to Jesus. He forgives you of your sins. He died for them. And you will be restored and you can go minister to other people. We can recover. That's one of the lessons from this storyline, the story. We can also learn how to prevent future denials. And that is prayerfulness, rejuvenating your prayer life, coming up with new ways to do that. And also we can learn from this whole story because Jesus predicted it and Peter did it, and that is how to sympathize and help other people who have fallen to denial. You see, because one thing we should certainly learn, if we haven't learned pretty quickly in our Christian life, is that you're not better than another Christian. No Christian is better than another Christian. In fact, we're all supposed to be helping one another. That's what we learn. And we can look at Jesus and his trials and we can look to him for new strength because he endured through it. He knows exactly how difficult it would be to be in a situation that you're in. And we can go to him for strength. You know, we observe Peter a lot in the Bible. We love to make fun of him. Because he's so human. In other words, we could just say, well, he's so much like me. So much like each one of us. You know, John Calvin, in his commentary on this section of Peter's epistle, writes this. It's very helpful. He says, Peter's fall brilliantly mirrors our own infirmity. His repentance, in turn, is a memorable demonstration for us of God's goodness and mercy. The story of one man contains teaching of general and indeed prime benefit for the whole church. It teaches those who stand to take care and caution. And it encourages the fallen to trust in pardon. As the scripture tells us later on, pray without ceasing. So in your prayerfulness that we're all going to commit to more of, hopefully, being prayerful, seek to know God in your time of prayer. Not just to ask for things or talk about Him but get to know Him and build a relationship and get closer and closer to Him. Because it's that kind of prayerfulness that's going to give you success, faithfulness. You're going to see yourself sometimes sail through persecutions. And you'll have to look back and say, how did that happen? It wasn't me. It's because you're close to God. It's because Jesus Christ is the one you know. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we looked at the scriptures this morning, we saw you. We saw your perseverance. We saw your glory. We saw your suffering. We saw the injustice. We get angry at seeing it. We get sad at seeing it, recounting it. But yet it's the cornerstone of our faith because we know that it was all for us and that eventually you would offer your life on the cross in our place. And so we stand here in love and adoration and worship. We are your disciples, and so we confess, as we should as we read a passage like this, we do know you, we are one of them, we are followers of Jesus, and we know exactly what the Scriptures talk about when they talk about you. And we confess all those things. So we pray that you would strengthen us as your church, and lead us into even more intimate times of prayer with you. For the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.